It is incredibly exciting and very, very rewarding to see what God is doing in Haiti. And um, it's, I'm just grateful that we have the opportunity to partner with Haiti Teen Challenge and uh, the opportunity that many of you have had to go down and experience that. And there will be more trips coming. So um, please keep that on your radar um, to see what God is doing in a very different context is a very, very powerful thing. And I would encourage you to get that on your bucket list to go and see what God is doing. I love what's happening there because Caroline comes back, the team comes back with stories of lives that have been transformed, stories of lives that are being shaped, stories of other lives that are coming where God's calling people to himself. And this is a a whole lot more than just going down and doing something for them, giving them something. And that's the end of it. This is, this is the, the gospel at work. And I absolutely love that. So get involved, get involved, take it trip to Haiti at some point and experience this. You really do need to. It'll, it, it will change your life. I guarantee it. All right. Good morning. My name is Paul McVitie. I am the, the senior pastor here at Chapel Hill Church. If you do not have a Bible with you this morning, you're going to need one to follow along in. If you don't have a Bible, just put your hand up like this and our ushers will give you a Bible that you can use for the service. And uh, if you are receiving one of those Bibles and you do not currently have a Bible of your own, please go ahead and keep that Bible that you received. Um, we love to dig into God's Word, into the Bible here at Chapel Hill Church, and we're going to continue to do so this morning. Um, So uh, we're going to talk about politics this morning. There you go. You've seen the protesters. You've heard the song. We're going to talk about politics. And uh, honestly, I I thought that I would be extremely nervous about doing this. Um, Two things have played into my nerves right now. Um, First of all, last night in this room, I had the privilege of speaking to about 55 of our men. At the steak sizzle, and uh, it was just an absolute delight to be there and to continue to watch God speak into these guys' lives and into and, and to shape um, your lives and and the impact that's going to have on your family, your marriage, your work, this church, all of that stuff. It's a pleasure to be a part of. And it's also a pleasure to stand out there with 55 guys around two massive grills and just watch meat cook. It's just a thing that we do and we really enjoy it. I don't think that's planned for the women's retreat, but you really, you should try it, women. It's just, it's awesome. Um, So... Last night, then, I had to speak to this group in here, and um, honestly, I was ridiculously nervous to speak to the men. I had never done a men's event before. I had never had that opportunity to speak to just men. Been with this group on many retreats where we've gone, and and somebody with a big name has come and and spoke uh, to the group, and and we've just all soaked it up together, and now here was this opportunity um, for me to speak to this group, and... um, I'm really, really glad that I had the opportunity, but I was ridiculously nervous and my, uh, I, I was, my nerves were, were up. My, my energy was up. And by the end of the night, I was exhausted and I, I got to bed and I was tossing and turning because of all the things that were going through my head of, of what had happened in the evening and all that. And so I am ridiculously tired right now, <laughs> extremely tired. And so I don't think I can be nervous and tired at the same time. So I'm picking tired and, um, I will. I decide that that's what I'm going to do instead of be nervous about talking about politics. And when the whole idea of talking about politics came up, I thought to myself, I don't have to do this. 
we can skip right over this part. Why? Because I'm a Canadian and I'm not even allowed to vote. So what possible opinion could I have? I don't care. Right? I do. But this was me trying to talk myself out of talking about politics. Because no pastor wants to talk about politics. Ever. We don't do that. There's a separation there, right? There's this massive wall that separates church and state. And we don't cross over. And I'm not going to tell you how to vote and all that kind of stuff. That's, that's not what we do. We don't bring politics into here. But we're going to talk about it. <laughs> because right smack in the middle of this passage that we're looking at in 1 Peter. And turn there now, 1 Peter chapter 2. Right smack in the middle of this is this statement that we cannot avoid. We can't just blow it off. So I want to read again the passage that we've been looking at recently. And if you're new with us, we have been studying the book of First Peter since sometime back in 2010. And uh, we are stuck in chapter 2. And I want to read again verses 12 through 17 as we get back into the word this morning. First Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 12. Peter writes this to the church that's scattered all over the place. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles, among those who are not yet a part of God's kingdom. Keep your conduct among them honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, we looked at that last week, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation when Christ returns and we are reunited with God. Be subject, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you shall put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. We'll get to that next week. Honor the emperor. Honor the emperor. And this passage, Peter starts with it. Be subject to the authorities. And he ends with honor the emperor. Why would he say that? We've talked a little bit about what was happening at that time. We've talked a little bit about who the emperor was. He was this crazy, wicked man named Nero. And he was brutal to Christ followers. He was a twisted, demented man. And he and his powers enjoyed ex executing Christians, executing followers of Christ in horrible, terrible Brutal ways. There was all kinds of oppression going on. We've talked before about the Roman government and the tax system and how they could take half of what you brought in. Sometimes more for the empire, no matter what effect it had on you. And now here Peter is writing to this church that's scattered all over the place. And some of them are on the run because of the persecution that's come against the church, against followers of Jesus Christ. They're on the run. They had to leave their homes and go settle again somewhere else where they might not be found out, where they might not be crucified for being followers of Jesus. All this is going on. This is the climate 
And Peter writes, honor the emperor. Are you kidding? How? Why? Why on earth would he be asking them to honor the emperor? Why on earth is God asking us to honor our politicians? Why is he asking us to honor our leaders, those in authority over us? Why is he asking us to honor our bosses? Why is he doing this? Why is God asking us when we can look at people in our lives and go, yeah, there's a Nero right there, right? Why is he asking us to honor those people? Why would Peter write to the church and say, honor the emperor, be subject to the government? There has to be a pretty strong reason for Peter to write this. And this morning what I want to do is just walk through briefly six reasons that I can think of why Peter would write this. Some of them are found right in the passage itself. Others, it just seems like there's the reason, based on what I know of God, based on what I know of the New Testament church and how things got going and how the Spirit was speaking to them, based on the writings of Paul as well as Peter and others, here are six reasons, six reasons why Peter is telling them, honor the emperor. The first reason, the first of all, is, is that honoring the emperor, honoring our authorities, honors God. It honors God, and that is a legitimate reason, and could easily be the only reason for us to do this. And for the church at the time that Peter wrote this, to do this. Peter said, for the Lord's sake, do this for God's sake. And I want you to understand just how, uh, how unified the word of God is in this. Because this is, again, this is not just Peter. We can't look at this and go, okay, well, this is one of those places where Peter had this one perspective on things. But, but God doesn't really say that anywhere else, does he? Well, he does. And I want to show you one of those places. It's in Romans chapter 13. Now, here's Paul writing. Paul has been horribly persecuted by the authorities, he's been thrown in jail a bunch of times. He has been stoned. They tried to kill him a few times. He's gone through all of this stuff. He's been whipped and beaten and everything. And here's Paul writing the same thing that Peter writes. This is what Paul writes in Romans 13. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. 
Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Some tough words in there. This is not easy. Paul acknowledged that it wasn't easy and Peter wrote it too and it's not easy. But we do it because it honors God because it's his will for us. That we honor those who are in authority. And what did we say last week was the meaning of the word honor. Means to fix value. To see the value in someone that God sees. To not write them off based on their identity. Based on their values. Based on their behavior. But to see the value that God sees and will always see in them. And to come over to where he is and see them the way he sees them. To value someone. To fix a value to them. When we do this for the Lord's sake, for God's sake, we're acknowledging the fact that there is one supreme ultimate authority and it is God alone. That he is sovereign over everything and everyone. And we acknowledge that when we honor the emperor, when we honor our leaders, our authority. And God can work with that. God can work with our honor. He cannot work with our rebellion and our hatred. But he can work with our honor. And so for his sake and his purposes and his plan, he says, honor those in authority. Secondly, why honor the emperor? Because doing so honors the emperor. It honors leaders. And I think we need to to reflect on the potential the potential impact that we can have on the leaders around us by honoring them. And I'm going to ask Peter to come up here now and, and share a little bit with us. He has just a great example that he was telling me about. And I said, oh, you get up and tell it. So Peter's going to talk about somebody who knew what it meant to honor leaders and the influence, the impact that he had on them. Yeah, a few weeks ago when I was prepping for the last sermon I preached, um, I, I, was, I took some time to study uh, Billy Graham. Because I, what, a, what an amazing example of someone who has honored leaders for a long, long time. And I, I learned some really interesting things, actually very refreshing things about Billy Graham, um, who's still kicking, by the way, and uh, 97 years old. Um, but he's known and met every president since Harry Truman. And uh, Billy, when he was 29 years old, got a call from the Democrat, Harry Truman, and asked if they would like to meet. So naturally he said yes, and he was able to pray with him. That was kind of his first interaction there. Um, I want to say Billy did make some mistakes in that meeting. He actually kind of divulged more about, the, about the, uh, their conversation to the press than Truman liked. And so Billy learned some lessons there about how to interact and how to honor leaders, just the protocol around that. And he was able to take those learnings and continue on to develop uh, friendships with other presidents. For example, Dwight Eisenhower, a Republican, Pulled in Billy for his counsel when he was sending troops to Little Rock. And uh, Eisenhower prayed the prayer of salvation with Billy at Walter Reed just before he died. Eisenhower once said, Billy Graham is one of the best ambassadors our country has. But Billy told me, I'm an ambassador of heaven. 
And Billy knows what this is like, how to be an ambassador of heaven to our world leaders. Uh, Democratic President John F. Kennedy spent time with Billy just before he was inaugurated. Um, if you read about that, actually, Billy kind of regrets the way he treated Kennedy a bit. He, Kennedy was Catholic, and, and there was actually some, Billy was actually kind of doing some things behind the scenes to kind of get Kennedy out, but later would regret doing that. And I'll, I'll show you a quote here in a second that really demonstrates his regret. But after Kennedy was assassinated, he was very close to, um, to Jackie Kennedy and actually was kind of part of the inner circle there. Um, and afterward, uh, with Lyndon Johnson, Democrat Lyndon, jo- Lyndon Johnson, um, he spent many nights at his family ranch and more than 20 nights at the White House with Lyndon Johnson. And they, would, they said they would spend time on their knees in prayer after each of their meetings. Johnson later wrote a letter to Billy, and, and, and his le- in his letter he said this, My mind went back to those lonely occasions at the White House when your friendship helped to sustain a president in an hour of trial. Billy and Richard Nixon, Republican, were personal friends since 1950, and they would spend time together in the Bible and in prayer when Billy would visit. Um, And actually, uh, later, Nixon, when Nixon got in trouble with Watergate, he stopped meeting with Billy, and he said it was because he didn't want Billy to be at all, you know, um, pulled into this or at all connected with it at all. So he he totally broke off because of their friendship, uh, their connection there. Um, Republican Gerald Ford said of Billy, I've heard the comments from some sources that Billy mixes politics with religion. I never felt that, and I don't think that thousands and thousands of people who listen to him felt that. Billy dropped by the Oval Office on several occasions when I was president. They were get-togethers of old friends. They had no political or other significance. Democratic presidential, uh, President uh, Jimmy Carter said, Billy and Ruth Graham have been to visit us both in the governor's mansion in Georgia and the White House, said Jimmy Carter. His reputation is above reproach and suspicion. Ronald Reagan said, It was through Billy Graham that I found myself praying even more on a daily basis, and that in that position, and, and that in the position I held, that my prayers more and more were to give me the wisdom to make decisions that would serve God and be pleasing to him. And then I have a little video clip of, uh, of uh, George H.W. Bush and Bill Clinton uh, sharing uh, uh, their thoughts of Billy. Just watch here. In this world today, most of the people getting killed who are totally innocent are being killed by politicians often parading as religious people, claiming that our common humanity is a fiction and all that really matters is our differences. To have a man whose public ministry has reached hundreds of millions simply because he believed God had called him to use his massive talents to show that he loved his neighbor as his Savior told him is a great gift. Every life Billy Graham ever touched, including people who never became president, never spoke at a crusade, is better because he was a good and faithful servant of the two most important commandments. But I've been privileged to witness and see the Christ-like way that he invites persons of every faith to come together in prayer. And so we're gathered here today because Billy Graham, the man, the preacher, the humble farmer's son who helped change the world, is a spiritual gift to all of us.
And then uh, George W. Bush, he credits Billy for helping lead him back to Christ uh, when, when he was kind of going off track. And finally, Democratic President uh, Barack Obama spent time. He was the first president to actually go spend time at Billy's home for prayer and a private conversation. So I look at this influence that Billy has just based on honoring leaders and honoring everyone. Um, he didn't engage with politics perfectly. If you study, you'll see he made some mistakes. Um, he regretted getting too involved sometimes and wish he would have stuck to just simply be an ambassador for Christ. Actually, after um, Jerry Falwell asked him to become part of the moral majority, uh, he, did not, he declined. And he said this, Billy said this, um, I'm, I'm for morality, but morality goes beyond sex to human freedom and social justice. We as clergy know so very little to speak with authority on the Panama Canal or superior of the superiority of, of armaments. Evangelists cannot be closely identified with any particular party or person. We have to stand in the middle in order to preach to all people, right or left. I haven't been faithful to my own advice in the past. I will be in the future. And that was in 1979. I, Billy, since 29 years old, sought after honoring leaders so that he could have influence for the kingdom and be an ambassador for God. And I, thought, I thought he was a prime example of, yeah, of this. Absolutely. Thanks, Peter. It, just that picture um, th- and that whole study of Billy Graham, I think, is a really strong reminder to me, and I hope it is to you, that God never turns his back on the governor, on the emperor. He never turns his back on leaders. God always sees the value in them and always moves toward them. And we come into this picture as well when it comes to honoring leaders. It's not just people like Billy Graham who get to rub shoulders with presidents. It's us. We have leaders all around us, don't we? You have leaders in your lives. What are you doing to honor them? How are you honoring those leaders? Because God uses that. There's power in us honoring the leadership that we have in our lives. I have uh, wanted for a long time to to expand this idea, and uh, I just don't have the capacity to do everything that I'd like to do, as I'm sure many of you can identify with. But I'll tell you what, if, if you're moved by this and, and you want to start something like this on behalf of this church, please do. Um, we need to be honoring the leaders in our community, don't we? And I think there are ways that we can do that. I would love to see someone step up and lead a ministry here that honors the police, that honors our judges, that honors uh, uh, teachers, principals, leaders of all kinds on behalf of this church. But we all have an opportunity to do this. Parents, you have an opportunity to do this in your kids' circle of influence. You have an opportunity to do this with their teachers, to honor their teachers. You have an opportunity to honor their coaches. I started uh, the spring season of soccer with my boys this past week, and I'm coaching two teams again. And uh, honestly, parents, please honor your coaches. (laughs) Please. It's... I'm sorry that we can't corral 15, 8-year-olds on our own. Uh, Honor us just a little bit. Um, Honor your your kid's Sunday school teacher here in the church. Honor the leaders in this church, the elders, the staff, different ministry leaders, those who are serving on a regular basis. We have an opportunity all around us 
to fix value to the people who are leading in our lives and our kids' lives. Wherever it is, we have an opportunity to fix value to them and then honor them by expressing, affirming that value that they have. Take advantage of that. Fix value to them and affirm that value in them. Honor leaders. Honor the emperor. The third reason is this. Honoring the authorities shines. It just flat out shines. Think about the world that we live in right now. Think about this current political climate and how much of an opportunity this is for the church, for followers of Jesus Christ, for God's family to step into the middle of this and honor our leaders and to set an example that way to let God's light shine in this, in this current climate. God's kingdom can really stand out right now, can't it? We have something different to offer. We have something revolutionary to offer. Honor is revolutionary. This is not about Christians choosing one side or the other. This is about Christians following the instruction that we've been given in Scripture. To honor the emperor and the governor and the president and the mayor and whoever it is. To honor people in, in institutions that have been initiated by God for our good. Are being called to seize this opportunity, not waste it, church. Church needs to speak up through its actions and its actions need to be ones of honor. Fourth reason. Honoring the emperor models faith. It models faith. Folks, we should not be afraid of what's going on around us. Not at all. Because we have faith in the one who is greater than all of this. And God is using and will use what's happening right now to accomplish his plan and for his glory. Do we truly believe this? Do we truly have confidence, faith to believe that God is sovereign? And what are we doing with that faith? How is it coming into play? And so I want to show you another clip here. And this is of, uh, this is by Andy Stanley and, um, I'm going to show it and then I'm going to tell you why this was, this was a good little slap in the face for me. So just listen to what Andy Stanley says. Now, real quick, I want to say something to a couple groups. All right. First, I want to say something to all of you who are 45 years old and older. You don't have to raise your hand, okay? 45 and older. Look up here. Many of you have grown weary and you've lost heart. And the reason is because you have fixed your eyes on a political system. You have fixed your eyes on a political leader. You have fixed your eyes on the good old days. You fixed your eyes on the economy. And you are, you are growing weary and you need to knock it off. And I'll tell you why. Because you are scaring the children. <laughs> you are. Now look up here. Look, look. The generation that's coming along behind us are going to take their cue from us. And here's the cue we're giving them. Oh, my goodness. If we don't get the right person in the, in the you know, elected in office, it's the end of the world. If we don't fix the economy, it's the end of the world. If we don't have religious freedom like my mama and my grandmama had religious freedom, it's the end of the world. Oh, my goodness. If we don't get the right laws passed, if we don't have the right policies, it's all coming unraveled. 
Nothing could be further from the truth. Look up here. Government and government matters. Policies matter. But neither of those matter as much as men and women who understand this word. Faith. Confidence that God keeps his promises and that nothing can thwart the plans of God. We know this from the Old Testament. We know this from the New Testament. We know this because the most powerful person in Judea, Pilate, looked at Jesus and said, What is truth? Crucify him. Game over. It's done. Let's move on. And the only reason you know who Pilate is, the only reason you know who Pilate is, is because you know the story of Jesus. Pilate, the governor, becomes a footnote in the story. Of Jesus. In fact, most of the first century people you know about, you know about because they're part of the story of Jesus. We have nothing to fear. So, all of you people over 45, knock it off. You need to model for the next generation that God is in control, God can be trusted. Get involved in the political system, get involved in culture, get involved in your society, but you never fix your eyes there. You fix your eyes on Jesus. All right, time for a little uh, pastoral vulnerability. (laughs) I hate doing this, but this is a point that I wouldn't have put in here if I hadn't have seen that and hadn't have been as convicted as I was when I first saw this, okay? Um, I am a father. I have three little boys, and I uh, was getting a little distracted by what's happening in the political realm right now. To the point where... I told my family, if a certain individual, then we're moving to Canada. And my boys laughed at first, and then one of them, the smile went off his face. He says, are you serious, Dad? And I said, yes, I am, son. (laughs) Because I was doing exactly what Andy Stanley is addressing. I was looking at... Something as meager as politics that took my eyes off Jesus. And God is so much bigger than any political system that this world can put up there. Anything. If this world had one system and the whole world was ruled by that political system, it would still be nothing. When held up against God and his sovereignty. Nothing. And that's the message that I want to pass on to my kids. That God is sovereign. God is faithful. And we're faced here once again with something that I talked about a long time ago. I talked about uh, our response to things around us. I talked about our two general responses. Fight or flight. And I talked about that thing in the middle. Do you remember what that thing was? Meekness. Jesus said, blessed are the meek. And meekness means that we stand in the middle of all that. We don't run. We don't fight. We stand in the middle and we go, God, what do you want me to do? And we put all of our faith and our trust in him and him alone. And that will speak volumes to our kids. Fifth reason, honoring the emperor models mission. 
In 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19, Paul said that we have been given the ministry of what? Reconciliation. Ours is the ministry of reconciliation. That's all of us. Is this a relevant ministry to have right now? You better believe it is. We are the ones, we are the ambassadors of heaven that bring the ministry of reconciliation to our world. And we have been presented right now with a tremendous opportunity to carry out the ministry of reconciliation. This is needed so badly. Think about some other elements of our mission We have been made in the image of and are being transformed back into the image of the Prince of Peace. This is our ministry. And we have a ministry that I'll just refer to as the ministry of love. And in that ministry, we put people first. Not politics, not our opinion People first, period. This is our ministry. I want you to think for a minute about the influence that you have. What influence do you have in your world? What influence do you have in your home? What influence do you have in your neighborhood? What influence do you have in your community overall? What influence do you have in your kids' circles? What influence do you have in your online community? You have a lot of influence. And one of the things that we need to be very, very careful of in this day and age is that we do not waste our influence on something that is not important. And we have over and over and over again see people go out there, especially online, and state their opinion in in a very confrontational way. And by doing so, by stating a political opinion, they have turned off their influence. Because their opinion matters more than anything. I have the right to be heard. People are going to hear what I believe, what I stand for, who I'm going to vote for, what I think of that candidate. And by doing so, we don't even realize that there are people who oppose that perspective, who shut us off. And it happens over and over again in all kinds of different circles, especially when politics comes up. Don't waste your influence on political opinion. You have an opportunity, I have an opportunity in the conversations that we're having in this day and age, face-to-face, online, whatever it is. We have an opportunity to use our influence. We have been given a platform. And it's for God's purposes, not to state our opinion and say, this is who I am. This is my identity. I follow this candidate, this party, this policy. We have an opportunity with our platforms to say, I represent heaven, God's kingdom. But again, we look at people and we look at their values as, as displayed in their political viewpoint and we write them off. We strip their value because they don't agree with us. That's not honoring. God calls us to honor. To use our honor to carry out his mission. To honor others so that our influence has the right impact on them. Don't waste your influence.
Don't waste your influence. There's another uh, message that I heard by Andy Stanley, and if, for whatever reason, using him a lot this morning, but um, it's just, he's somebody that I follow. I, I grew up in a, in a generation that followed the teaching and, and instruction of his father, Charles Stanley, and, and he was just a great Bible scholar, and, and I followed him, and so when, when Andy Stanley, his son, started to come on the scene, I was like, okay, i got to watch this, because I have a lot of respect for his dad, and I have a lot of respect for Andy as well. And so there are things that I listen to um, from him. And he did this one thing about, uh, it was called, I think it was called election infection. And um, just talked about how we're processing all this. And, and um, he, he has these, <laughs> these four questions that, that I love. And he says, here's how we turn our opinion um, away and focus on people and who they are and begin to see the value in them. The honor goes that direction. And he says, Here's four questions that you can ask somebody when you hear them state their viewpoint. Don't just say, well, that doesn't agree with mine and and create that cut. He says, just ask these things. And some of them are kind of cheeky, but here's what he starts with. Uh, Number one, what led you to that view? What led you to that? Okay, I hear what you're saying. I can hear you stating your opinion on this, your perspective on this. What led you to that? Now you've opened up a whole new conversation where you can discover where they're coming from. And you follow it up with the, the second question. Have you always held that view? What happened in their life? How, how did they get transformed to this place where they have that view? Dig in. Get to know them. Understand what's going on. Question number three. If you're talking about a specific candidate, ask this one and see where it goes. Do you know that person? Do you know that candidate? fourth one is is uh my favorite um this is a tough one to to say because it means we have to admit something and it's just so simply this i get most of my information from the media how about you <laughs> so reality is none of us knows none of us knows the whole picture and what he's saying here is just take steps towards somebody engage in that conversation Use your influence with that person for the right things. Not just to stand on a soapbox and state your opinion. Say, well, this is who I am and that's what matters. No, find out who they are. And discover ways to honor them. Don't give up your mission. Don't give up your influence over an opinion about a leader. Honor everyone. The leader and the one that you're talking to about politics. Lastly, honor the emperor because it will silence our critics. In verse 15, Peter wrote this. He said, for this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Listen, God has no intention of allowing the world's voice to drown out his voice. The world doesn't speak stronger than God does. He didn't tell us to agree with the emperor. He told us to honor, to value, and subject ourselves to the emperor. People can judge and criticize our opinions, our objections. What they can't criticize is honor. Honor. And in that, God speaks.
The world made their minds up about followers of Jesus. We talked about that last week. That they, they considered them to be rebels, even atheists. But their good deeds, Peter said, the honor that they show would shut the mouths of their critics. So why honor the emperor? Because it honors God. Because it honors leaders. Because it shines. Because it models faith. Because it models mission. And because it silences critics. Church, we have an opportunity. An opportunity. To do what God is commanding us to do through the, through the scriptures. Honor the emperor. Honor our politicians. Honor the authorities. Honor everyone. Go out and use your influence. For honor. Can you do that? I'm going to have the ushers come forward and the worship team as well. Let me pray as we close. Father, I will admit that we wrestle sometimes, I know I do, with believing that political systems that we don't agree with are are somehow still within your plan and within your realm of power. They're still under your sovereignty and you will use them. God, give us faith. Deepen our faith to the point where we do see you above and beyond everything that's going on around us. And as we fix our eyes on you and we tune our ears to you, teach us to listen. Help us to take this to heart. When we're told to honor the emperor, to subject ourselves to the authorities around us, God, we need your help. We need your perspective. Father, you put in front of us all the time opportunities to honor those in authority. Now give us the courage to do something with what you put in front of us all the time. With the understanding, Father, that you will use the acts of honor that we do for your will to be accomplished. Grow us as ministers of reconciliation, ambassadors of peace, representatives of your love. Teach us to honor the emperor, everyone. I ask this with deep longing in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.